Revelation chapter 1. <clears throat> really not going to go through the chapter today, but I will <clears throat> read a verse from it. As we're going to just really spend a lot of time this morning <clears throat> on the introduction to the book of Revelation. The theme is consummation. It is the end of all things. Genesis was the book of beginnings. And as you read through the book of Genesis towards the book of Revelation, you see everything unfolding and then coming to a close in the book of Revelation. It was written about 100 A.D. On the first Christmas morning, Jesus entered the world. And he was wrapped in human flesh. And he was wrapped in strips of cloth called swaddling clothes. He took his first nap in an animal's feeding trough, which was called a manger. He was under the supervision of his parents and under the instruction of his parents. And in time, Jesus grew to be a man who grew up in, uh, in Judah, uh, Judea, and he was under Roman rule there in Judea. Those gentle hands, those little baby hands, became strong and they became rough from working in, his, in Joseph's woodshop. As a man, Jesus walked through the countryside and he walked through the cities and he touched individual lives. He preached to crowds. He trained 12 men to carry on his work. But every step that Jesus took was harassed, mocked and ridiculed by those who wanted to get rid of his influence in the world. We see that today. We see people today who want to get rid of Jesus Christ. They want to get rid of his influence in the world today. And then finally, he was falsely accused and tried by the world. He was condemned to die a disgraceful execution by enemy hands. Jesus was spit on. He was cursed. He was pierced. Executed by enemy hands. Again, uh, hung on a cross for all the world to see. For all the world to ridicule. Jesus, the God-man, gave his life completely so that all might live. And if Jesus walked the earth today, guarantee you the same thing would happen to him. He would be hated, he would be mocked, spit on, and eventually killed. But in God's appointed time, the resurrection, he resurrected and he ascended to heaven. And one day the Lord Jesus Christ will burst onto the world scene. Like never before. Then everybody is going to know that Jesus Christ is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the Lord of the universe. Those who love him, they're going to be ecstatic. They're going to be excited because they're waiting for him. They are going to rejoice. They're going to greet their Savior with their hearts just full of joy, overflowing joy, with songs of praise. But his enemies, they're going to be filled with fear. They're going to be in terror. Partnered with Satan, the enemies of Jesus Christ will organize themselves. They will organize their multitudes against him and against his armies. But the Bible says, who can stand against the wrath of God? Jesus will win the battle and he will reign victorious forever. Now, Jesus, the humbling, suffering servant, is also the powerful, suffering, uh, conquering king and judge. Revelation is a book of hope. John the beloved apostle of Jesus Christ, an eyewitness of Jesus, proclaimed that the victorious Lord would surely return to justify the righteous and to judge the wicked. But Revelation is also a book of warning. 
as well. Things were not as they should have been in the churches. So Jesus called the members to commit themselves to live in righteousness. And even though Jesus gave this revelation of himself to John, the apostle, over 2,000 years ago, it still stands as a comfort and a challenge to God's people this morning. And we can, ta- we can take to heart. We can take heart as we understand John's uh, vision of hope. Jesus will come back to rescue his people and to settle the accounts with all of those who defy him and hate him. As the persecution against Christians uh, outside the church increased, the first century church also faced problems on the inside. They struggled with suffering because of the persecution. They struggled with spiritual warfare, heretical doctrine and practice, and spiritual laziness. Jesus had promised to come back. The question is, when? How? And what would he do? about the problems facing the church when he did come back. So challenged with these circumstances, the original readers of Revelation needed to uh, be both encouraged and exhorted. On the one hand, Revelation was intended to be a promise of divine protection from God's judgment on the world. On the other hand, those who read the book were able to take it to heart uh, and obey. They were to take it to heart and obey. Worshipfully, worshipfully standing for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, just like the Apostle John had done. In writing the revelation of Jesus Christ, John wanted to reassure, reassure his readers that Jesus Christ controls the course and end of history. God's intervening purposes in all of history is the establishment of the promised messianic kingdom. And associated with this ultimate divine objective is the opportunity for believers to persevere in faith in a life of obedience. The prospect for these overcomers or victors is the destiny of reigning with Jesus Christ as co-heirs in his kingdom. Now, the book of Revelation, as many of you know, it has fascinated numbers of people for hundreds of years. More commentaries and books have been written with more different interpretations available about the book of Revelation than any other book of the Bible. Why is that? All of you that are wearing a watch, hold up your arm. Hold up your wrist. See? You have time strapped to your hand, to your body. Why? Because your lives are ruled by time. Probably one of the most often asked questions, verbal and nonverbal, in life is, what time is it? Just count the number of times in one day that you look at your watch. Just count the number of times you look at it in church, waiting, is he done yet? You know. <laughs> we look at time. We're bound by time. We're people bound by time. We think about tomorrow. We worry about tomorrow. We want to know what's going to happen tomorrow, especially in light of all that we see going on in the news today. We want to know what the future has in store for us. Will we become rich or poor? Will I be healthy or will I get sick? Will my marriage and home life last? Will it be happy? Will it be fruitful? Or will it be full of strife and sorrow? Will we go to war with North Korea, Iran, Russia, Will there be a nuclear or biological war? 
Will we ever have peace again? Is this the beginning of the battle of Armageddon? What about death? Is death the end of everything? Do we just come into existence and then just die and that's it? Is there life after death? What's that like or what will it be like? Will we just float around on clouds playing our harps like a lot of times we see, you know, silly examples on TV? What can I do to get ready for death? What's the meaning of life? What's my purpose in life? You see, the problem with all of these questions is that there are so many different answers that have been given. So how do we know who's right? How do we know what's right? Who do we how do we who do we know what who to believe in and what to believe? There's so many questions. And the thing is, there's so many crackpots out there when it comes to knowing the future. And as far as the future is concerned, a lot of experts and well-trained people make their living telling us the future. You have weather forecasters who, well, you know, you know how that goes. They're telling you one day it's going to rain. It doesn't. It's going to be hot. And it rains. So, you know, you got economists. They're always telling you about the future. They're going to tell you, well, a recession is coming. It doesn't come. You know, they tell you when to sell and when to buy. They'll tell you when the interest rates are going up and when they're coming down. They tell you about inflation. You have scientists telling you about the depletion of the ozone layer, global warming. We're going to all melt in about 10, 20 years, you know. New viruses are on the way. New epidemics. Political experts. They're all telling you stuff. But again, without 100% reliability. All of these predictions are based only on scientific information and statistics. And let me tell you, statistics, numbers, you can make them say whatever you want. They're only somewhat successful. And that's only for a short time. In addition to this, we're seeing today an outbreak of the occult. And so-called supernatural cults and services. You have psychic readers, you have palm readers, you have them in, in every town, on every corner, in many cities. We have an increased interest in UFO sightings. We see a lot of that on TV now. Abductions. Even right here in Covina, I don't know if it's still there, but there was a, a Roswell Museum in downtown Covina. And you remember many of these programs that they, they were long gone, but they have new ones coming up. You had Miss Cleo, you had Shirley MacLaine. You had John Edwards in that program crossing over. Dionne Warwick was into psychic stuff. And you, you even have pet psychics. Planet Earth, pet psychics. You, you have these, these phone psychics. You call them up and they'll tell you everything you ever wanted to know for a buck an hour. So, you know, you, you got them out there. Now, the reason that these shows and these people are so popular is that they say they can predict the future. And so many people use them because they want to know the future. The increase of astrologers and psychics, mediums and prophets. That is the result of people wanting to know what the future holds for them. Science and humanism has not been able to give them the right answers. We have a lot of these, they call them tabloids or gossip newspapers like the Inquirer. Every year they're predicting some future thing but they never uh, write about any of them that come to pass. They just keep writing what's going to happen. And none of it never, do, ever, never does. Even a lot of Christians, are sad to say, are too impressed by these people who, who, who give credit for their psychic abilities 
these people will tell you they give their, their psychic uh, abilities to demonic powers. Even King Saul went to see a medium in Endor and he asked her, what do you see? What do you see for me? The truth is, neither demons or angels are omniscient. They're not all knowing. So they don't know much about the future, not any more than you do. Satan cannot predict the future. You see a great example of that in Job chapter 1. <clears throat> when Job stood before God, listen to what he told God. Satan said, but now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, speaking of Job, and he will surely curse you to your face. That was Satan's projection. God, if you, if you touch Job and you take away all that he has, man, he will for sure curse you to your face. You'll go down a few verses and listen, here's what it says. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and he fell to the ground and worshiped. Notice the, the, the contradiction. Satan said earlier, oh, you take stuff away from Job, he's going to curse you. We read a few lines later, after God touched him and took stuff away from him, he worshiped him. Satan cannot call the future. When Jesus cast out the demons and the man in the tombs, the demons asked him, have you come here to torment us before the time? Notice, they asked because they didn't know. Have you come here to torment us before time, before our time? See, only God is omnipotent. That is all powerful. Only God is omnipresent. That is everywhere all the time. Only God is omniscient, all knowing. Only God. And because God created time, he's not bound by it. So God knows and controls all events everywhere at all time. Now, sometimes he might choose to share some of this knowledge with his angels or even with chosen men. But this is the only way that we can really know anything about the future, which brings us to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is the finishing touch, the finale, the final curtain on life as we know it. It's the consummation to the wonderful masterpiece of the written word of God. The Bible is so unique. It's not like any other book. It's different from every other, any and every other book in the world. It is a book that still stands today even after years and years of debate and criticism. The Bible is the oldest book in the world and it is still the bestseller. Tyrants have burned the Bible. Believers have honored the Bible. It's the most quoted and the most published and the most influential book in the history of mankind. The Bible has been mocked, it has been burned, it has been criticized, it has been hammered, it has been chiseled on for, a thousand, for thousands of years, and yet the Bible still remains as large and solid forever. It's still, we still have it today. The Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years, written over 40, over 40 generations by over 40 authors from every walk of life, including kings, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, poets, Statesmen and scholars. For example, Moses was a political leader trained in the universities of Egypt. Peter was a fisherman. Amos was a herdsman. Joshua was a military general. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. Daniel was a prime minister. Luke was a doctor. Solomon was a king. Matthew was a tax collector. Paul was a rabbi. It was written in different places. Moses wrote some scripture in the wilderness. Jeremiah in a dungeon, Daniel, Daniel on a hillside in a palace, Paul inside prison walls, John on the Isle of Patmos, others in the harshness of a military battle. 
It was written in different times. David wrote in times of war. Solomon wrote in times of peace. It was written on three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. It was written in three different languages, in the Hebrew for the Old Testament and Aramaic and Greek in the New Testament. Revelation was written specifically to give us knowledge about the future. This made it clear. This was made clear in the very first verse. Notice verses one through three. Let me read them to you. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Listen, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. The Bible is an amazing book because of the statistics I just gave you written over a period of 1500 years by 40 different authors on three different continents. And it is so, and not one part of it contradicts another. What other book could be written like that with those statistics and come out to be, you know, continuous and and, and just not contradict each other from beginning to end? Only Only God could do that. You see, God wanted to, God wanted us to know the future. He wanted us to know it through this book. That's why it was written. And it ranges, uh, its range, the book of Revelation, its range continues from the events of the immediate future, that is, for those who would read the first book, read it at first, that is, the Christians of, of, of John's time, about A.D. 100, on through the return of Christ to the setting up of his eternal kingdom in the new earth and new heavens, which he would create. You see, we don't have to worry about these prophecies not being fulfilled. Unlike the false prophets in the earth, you know, that we see today, not the, and like the, old, the prophets of old and today. God's prophecies are a 100% sure thing. Peter said in 2 Peter 1, 19 through 21, he said, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, notice that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were, notice, moved by the Holy Spirit. The Word of God, no part of it is any man's private interpretation. All of it was written by men, moved, inspired by the Holy Spirit. I get so tired of hearing people say you can't trust the Bible because it was written by men. Have you sincerely tried to trust God's word? First Thessalonians 2.13, Paul said this, when we preached to you, you didn't think of the words we spoke as being just our own. That is the word of men. But you accepted what we said as the very word of God, which, of course, it was. Notice, and it changed your lives when you believed and obeyed it. The word of God is effective in people's life when they obey it and they believe it. Jesus said in John 7, verse 7 through 17 through 18, he says, if any of you really determines to do God's will, then you will certainly know whether my teaching is from God or is merely my own. You see, if we don't obey the things that God has told us, he's not going to show us anything new. When we obey God, then he teaches us more. Why should he teach us more if we don't do the things that he teaches us at all? Why would he teach us more? 
If you have any doubt that these incredible prophecies and revelation will really happen, all you need to do is look at the earlier biblical prophecies or prophets that were moved by the Holy Spirit. For example, the early prophecies of Jesus Christ. 300 of them in the Old Testament. All of them fulfilled today. All of them. So if those have been fulfilled, you can believe that all the future ones still to be fulfilled will be fulfilled. There have been hundreds of well-known biblical prophecies literally and meticulously down to the smallest detail fulfilled and documented. And these were usually long-range prophecies to be fulfilled at, at a much later time. You know, written and then hundreds of years fulfilled, hundred years later fulfilled. So far in the future that no man could ever be clever enough or inventive enough to do so by logical reasoning or guessing. Not only that, prophecies like this are unique only, only to the Bible. They are not found in the Koran. They are not found in the Analects. Now, the Analects are a selected variety of written passages from the past or in the writings of other religions or philosophies. You don't find them anywhere but in the Scriptures. They're not found in the writings of modern self-appointed prophets like Nostradamus, who was a 16th century French physician and astrologer. Edward Case, an American who lived in the early 20th century, and he claimed to have psychic and healing abilities, or prophets deemed like Joseph Smith. Biblical prophecies are truly and divinely inspired, and they are sure to be fulfilled. This is the kind of stuff that you have out there, and people will listen to this. I, I got this. I, this was emailed to me about a week and a half ago as I was studying for the introduction. I thought, Lord, your perfect timing is perfect just to give us an example. It was addressed to me. And it starts out, who is your guardian angel? What secret does he want to reveal to you about your future? And then it says, believe me, in capital letters. This message coming from, an, uh, from above will change everything for you. Your guardian angel, Joe, worked on your behalf in the utmost secrecy. Today, I am giving you the unique opportunity to discover his name and know who he is. It's no coincidence that I'm writing to you today. Your angel contacted me personally. I guess he couldn't find me. He has a message to transmit to you as soon as possible. I can already tell you that these incredible revelations will change your life. Thanks to my powers, I am permanently in touch with the celestial world. Yeah, I wonder what means. Therefore, I can unveil the name of your guardian angel and the angelical message he wants you to receive. You will be able to take advantage of it right away. Signed, Psychic Padre. Yeah, three days later, I got one from Psychic Angela basically telling me the same thing. But this is the kind of stuff that's out there. Why? People eat it up. The book of Revelation is the final collection of God's prophecies of the future, including and explaining in detail all, of the, all those other prophecies of both Old and New Testaments that are still to be fulfilled. The book of Revelation is a very important book for every Christian to study and to know it well. It is a book of real history. It is a book about real people written ahead of its time by the one, our God, outside of time. And since every person who ever lived or will live is going to take some part 
at least in some of these events mentioned in the book of Revelation, and since they're the most intensely important events since the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is so important that we understand them and that we are ready for them. The question is, are you? Are you ready for these things that are going to take place on this earth? Mentioned in the book of Revelation. Now, the book of Revelation is a book of confusion and mystery to a lot of people who have read it or have tried to read it, even Christians. But it shouldn't be. Because, you see, it was written to show those things which were coming to pass on this earth, not to make them hard to understand in a confusion of symbolism and mysterious sayings. And, and I, you know, some people have been told, you know, oh, you shouldn't read the book of Revelation. It's, it's not meant for us to read. There's too much symbolism, and, it's, and like I said, it's confusing, and you, just, you, you, know, you can't understand it. But great blessing was promised to anybody who would read or even hear the words of the book of this prophecy. Go back to verse 3 of chapter 1. Notice what it says. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. So if it wasn't meant to be read, why would this be here? See, this is people's interpretation. People's interpretation. You might ask, though, how can anybody be blessed by words they can't understand? So many people have written about the future events of Revelation. And it's resulted in so many different interpretations that they've been totally that they've totally confused a lot of readers. Which was definitely not John the Apostle's intention when he wrote this. Nor was it Jesus' intention when he sent it to John, nor the intention of the Father who gave it to Jesus. Just as the book of Genesis is the foundation of God's written book, the book of Revelation is the grand finale. It is God's final touch. It is like the big fireworks show at the end of the game. The book of Revelation brings to an end all the major subjects that run through the whole Bible. Every subject comes to, to its conclusion in the book of Revelation. Genesis is the book of the world's beginnings. Revelation is the book of unveilings of the world's future. The great subjects of Scripture, every major truth, are introduced in the beginning form in the book of Genesis. Then little by little... They're developed throughout the Bible and they finally come to their grand finale in the book of Revelation. So you see, the book of Revelation is very, very important because without it, the Bible wouldn't have an ending. So how do we interpret the book of Revelation? Because interpreting the book of Revelation is one of the biggest problems with the book of Revelation. How do we interpret it? Because there's several different ways to interpret it. And a lot of Christians come to the conclusion because there's so many ways to interpret it. It's just too hard to understand. So they miss the great blessing to those who read and understand it. As verse three says here. Now, there are six different ways of interpretation, but there are three main thoughts of interpretation. The first one is the preterist interpretation, which speaks of the using the past to interpret it. In other words, this interpretation sees the book of Revelation as applying specifically to the problems and the persecutions of the early church existing at the time that it was written. 
So the many symbolic expressions in the book symbolize a plan to encourage the church while it was going through its trials under the oppressive Roman Empire and were deliberately intended to stop the book from being understood by any who weren't believers. The second interpretation that there is, that the main ones, is the historical interpretation which sees the book of Revelation as the history of the church's struggle against the world's systems throughout the church age. This goes beyond the Roman period to the coming of Christ and the setting up of his eternal kingdom. Then there is the futurist interpretation. This is the view that we hold to be the right view, the futurist interpretation. Because with this view, you can read the book of Revelation and believe that it means what it says and it says what it means. You don't have to twist things to make them fit here. You don't have to twist things to make them fit over there. You don't have to change them to fit some idea. The futurist interpretation takes the book of Revelation just as it says to be understood just just as it is. And so as I teach the book of Revelation, I don't get caught up in speculation. Oh, who's going to be the Antichrist? And oh, this, this works out this. No, you don't know. It tells you there will be an Antichrist. But it doesn't tell you who it's going to be. But a lot of when the people teach the book, they get into the oohs and the ahs and all. I'm just going to teach it as is. So, uh, again, it you know, just what the Bible says, the view, the, the futurist interpretation, this view accepts that everything starting with chapter four describes events at the very end of the church age, still future and yet to be fulfilled. So interpreting the book, we will follow the literal and natural futurist chronological, premillennial, pre-tribulation interpretation of the book. This interpretation has been understood to be the most natural and as a result, the most proper way to understand the book of Revelation. Now, when you depart from a natural and literal interpretation of Bible prophecy, then you can only guess. If everything is a symbol rather than a real event, Those symbols can be made to mean whatever the interpreter wants them to mean. And we have too much of that stuff today. The chronological outline of Revelation is the literal and natural view of Revelation. It accepts the book as truly prophetic, built around a chronology that is a timetable of events, beginning with the time of its writing, about A.D. 100, and continuing on to eternity in the new earth. Before Jesus sets up the new heaven and earth, Mentioned in chapter 21 and 22, which is the start of eternity. There's a final period of about of a thousand years on this earth that's called the millennium, which is Latin for a thousand. We see that in chapters 20 verses one through seven. Before this one thousand year period, the world is to be ruled by a man called the beast who is controlled by Satan. We see that in Revelation chapter 13, or it's a period of 42 months, uh, 1260 days or three and a half years the last three and a half years before he's defeated and the 1,000-year period starts again or starts up. Before that time is still another period of 1,260 days or, or um, the, the three and a half years. It's marked by the unrestrained uh, uh, prophesying and miracles of the two witnesses that are here. And the two witnesses are killed by the beast as, the unite, as it, they unite the world's, uh, unite his word power, his world power. These two time periods, the 1260 days and 42 months or three and a half years are clearly consecutive 
And each matches up to a period of three and a half years, as I said, each composed of 12 months containing 30 days each. So there's to be a final seven-year period of earth history before the thousand-year period begins. The last three and a half years of this period, including the events described in chapters 12 through 19. Also, the first three and a half years of the tribulation period is outlined in chapters 4 through 11. The plagues that are called down on earth by the two witnesses during their days of prophecy are described in chapters 6 through 10, then summarized in chapter 11, verse 6. The first three and a half years of the tribulation period gives the scene as from heaven. The second half or the last half of the three and a half years, the tribulation period is, is given from earth. But before this seven year tribulation period takes place on the earth, chapters four and five describe something incredible that's taking place in heaven. The rapture of the church at this huge crowd in chapters four through five are gathered all the redeemed. It becomes clear that the seven years of plague and judgments on the earth described in chapters six through 19 are prophesied to take place after the coming of Christ, the rapture of the church to raise and to receive his redeemed ones. This then leaves only chapters two and three to deal with the time from eighty one hundred to the resurrection of the saints. So it's fitting that these chapters are made up of letters to seven representative churches, churches whose needs and problems would include uh, in, re in real meaning, all of the needs and problems of all the churches of the church age today. So the framework of Revelation seems to be as follows. Chapters 1 through 3, the church age, the time unknown. Chapters 4 through 10, the period of a, a period of judgment, seven years in great tribulation period. Chapter 20 is the kingdom age on earth, 1,000 years. And chapter 21 through 22 is the eternal age, the endless years. Another, another unique thing about the book of Revelation that we need to look at before we start to study it is the number of times the number seven is used. We read seven churches, seven spirits, seven candlesticks, seven stars, seven lamps, seals, horns, eyes, angels, trumpets, thunders, thousand, heads, crowns, plagues, vials, mountains, and kings. There's seven of those. Now, why would there be the word seven mentioned so many times? Is this coincidental? The word seven is found in Revelation more than more than in all the books of the New Testament put together. Now, John didn't do this on his own. John didn't do this. And, you know, all oh, this is going to be clever. and This is cool. Let's just, you know, decide to use all these sevens. Remember, this, this, again, John didn't just do this on his own. Remember, the revelation was given to John. He was told to write these things down by Christ. So again, why all the sevens? Because it's the last book of the Bible. Remember, the number seven has always been viewed as symbolizing fullness or completion. The number seven in numerology is the number of completion. Why is the number seven looked at as fullness or completion? Because of God's declaration in Genesis chapter two, verse three, after creation, and this is the main reason, God blessed the seventh day and he sanctified it because in it he rested, remember, from all of his work, which God had created and made. On the seventh day, he sanctified it. He rested and said, it's done. So seven, again, symbolizes or represents the number of completion or fulfillment. 
God finished his great work of creating and putting into motion the whole universe and all of its creatures in the very first seven-day period of history. So in closing, the book of Revelation, written by the last of the apostles at the very end of the apostolic age, gives guidance for his people through all the other ages to come, focusing especially on the grand finale of events that will bring God's word to fulfillment and completion. The book of Revelation, as a result, more than anything else, is intended to assure us that God, what God has said is true. What he has promised and what he will do will come to pass. The book of Revelation is real future history. And as sure as Genesis, it's real, as sure as Genesis is real ancient history. So, in Revelation, the people are real, the events that it predicts are real, and they will come to pass. Because God always finishes what he starts. In Numbers 23:19, we read, is, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? This revelation was to be shown to his bondservants, of which we are. Only they will be able to understand what's going on. Hopefully you are, all of you, one of his bondservants. Because if not, you will not understand what's going on. And if you don't know, you need to know. And the only way you can know is to come through a living knowledge and a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this finale, Lord. This closing curtain on history as we know it, God. We thank you for the book of Revelation, God. And Father, we pray for the wisdom of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, God. We pray for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God. I pray, Father, for that inspiration, for the knowledge of the Spirit, God. That I would teach this book, Lord, exactly as you want it to be taught, Lord, as it's to be known, God. No speculation, God, no guessing as to who will be the Antichrist or twisting and turning things to make them exciting, God. But just to teach your word as you designed it to be taught, God. And Father, we pray for those that don't know you, Lord. That, Father, they would come to know you today as we go through this book of Revelation, God, before your return. Your word says that you're not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance, God. Because you died for every human being, God. And you want them all to be saved. The worship team is going to lead us in a song right now, a time of worship. And if you want to know for sure that when this, this hell breaks out on earth, this tribulation period, that you're not in it, you're not a part of it, you're not here. 
And that you want to be caught up with the church, with Christ in the heavens when the rapture takes place. Jesus is only coming for his own. Are you one of his own? If not, you need to do that this morning. As the worship team leads us in this song, if you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you get up out of your seat, you make your way towards the steps up front, I'll meet you there. And when the song's over, we'll pray together a simple prayer of faith.